Thank you again for joining us this evening. Uh, we are going to continue in our series of War Against the Darkness. Uh, we got this lesson tonight. We've got two more in this series. I realize that some of you uh, who, who are not able to join us on Sunday mornings, this is where the majority of these lessons have been taking place. So I encourage you, if you uh, are interested in going back and looking through uh, either our website or if you subscribe to our podcast, the, the Rival Church of Christ podcast through Apple Podcasts, uh, then you can actually Access those that have come before this. Tonight's is really a follow-up to this morning's, uh, but hopefully even if you weren't here this morning, you can still get a lot out of this and jump right in here with us. But what we've been talking about is, is spiritual warfare language throughout the Bible. And I said this morning that we're moving into the last phase of this, which is everything beyond the work that Jesus has accomplished at the cross and at the tomb, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. What does that mean now for his followers? Uh, what's the strategy of, of the one who is called Satan in the scriptures and uh, the ones who were on his side, the other forces of darkness that we read of. Uh, what is their strategy now and what is our strategy in return? And that's where we are going a little bit with this uh, this evening. And we're going to start tonight by looking at this passage in James chapter 3 as we're going to discuss the area of wisdom tonight. Now wisdom again is different than just mere knowledge. Knowledge is what you know. Uh, wisdom is, is how you use what you know, how you apply uh, what you know. Uh, so there are some distinctions there. It's, it's related to knowledge, but you can have as much knowledge in the world and still not be a wise person, especially according to how God would define wisdom. Now not all wisdom is actually wisdom which is from God. Uh, there are some different sources of wisdom, and that's part of what these passages tonight are going to get us to see, is be careful, because all of us have a system of thinking, of taking the knowledge that we have and interpreting things, and things flowing from what we are taking in, from data that we're taking in, and how we're processing it, and how we're putting it into words and actions, uh, all of that Wisdom is involved in that whole process. Uh, we're all using it. The question comes in, which wisdom are you using? How are you using the wisdom? And we have a passage like this in James chapter 3, which is going to give us a lot about what is godly wisdom and another type of wisdom that is mentioned here. So let's read this passage together this evening. This is James 3 verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. And every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we have the wisdom which is from above, 
that doesn't mean this is only those who have heard a direct word from from God. It's, it, it means that ultimately what is true wisdom, what is good wisdom, ultimately flows from God. It may flow through the scriptures. It may flow through people who have been experienced Christians for years and we are listening to their counsel. Uh, um, it may flow from other sources. Uh, sometimes someone who, who may not be a Christian necessarily will still have something that would match with God's wisdom. Uh, but we've got to be very careful about the sources of uh, the wisdom. Two different sources that are given to us here. Now, I've highlighted here specifically for you a couple of words in this list that I think will go along with what we talked about this morning. This wisdom which comes down from, from uh, the wisdom which uh, does not uh, come down from above. One of the things that is described by is in terms of being demonic. <clears throat> now that word uh, demonic, that's the only time that I can find that the word demon is used as an adjective in the scriptures. Uh, it's right here in James chapter 3. It's one of the ways that the world's wisdom is characterized it is in alignment with the work of demons. Now again, we are getting into that unseen realm of things that even though we, we don't see, the Christian system is that we believe that there are things going on which we don't always see. Demons are not only in the business of possessing people, they are also at work in propagating ideas, ideologies, and attitudes which are contrary to what is good for human flourishing. So don't think that just because you don't see demon possession happening around you that demons are not still at work in this world. Uh, one, one of the things that we looked at in the past uh, was that those who, any type of idol worship uh, that we see in the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, uh, tell us that what people think of as them worshiping something that is innocent, and they may even call it their God, whether they do or not, uh, there is often a demonic reality behind that. So that's one of the ways that they're working. But here's another, in the wisdom uh, which we end up taking in. It's, it goes along with what I think Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about when we talk about Satan being the prince of the power of the air. This world atmosphere that we are living in, that we are, we are taking in uh, these ideologies, and maybe uh, a lot of these will come across as wisdom. And don't get me wrong, I am not one who wants to stand up and say you need to, uh, you need to uh, boycott everything cultural. You know, don't watch the news, don't read books, don't, don't go to the movies. You know, there, there is good wisdom uh, that is going to come across in these things. But there is also a lot of wisdom that is not from God that comes to us in the academies of the world and sometimes the politicians of the world or the screenwriters of the world. Uh, they all can seem to carry legitimacy and that's why they're so appealing. And, and sometimes it comes across in a very uh, formal, you know, a, a very persuasive way, an artistic way, uh, and, and we're drawn to that. But we've got to be careful. Here are these two types of wisdoms by what they're associated with. Let's look at the, some of the words that are associated with this wisdom, this, this type of wisdom of the world, the demonic wisdom. It's associated with bitter jealousy, with, with selfish ambition, uh, with boasting, with falsehood, with sources that are unspiritual, natural, 
uh, you know, devoid of, of acknowledging the spiritual realm, we may say. I think Satan loves that. Whenever we don't acknowledge that there is something spiritual going on, when we just think in terms of, you know, I'm thinking of the worldview that some would call naturalism, which is looking at everything as if there is no God, there is no spiritual at all. It is just what you can verify with your senses. Satan loves that. Uh, when, if he can get us all to think that, that way. We are blinded uh, to reality whenever that happens. Disorder is something that I highlighted there as well. Because remember we said this morning, if you were here, the forces of evil are anti-creation. They love disorder. They love chaos. Uh, that chaos is often portrayed in the Bible as, as a sea of churning water, of waves that, that are splashing, uh, that are just, just, you can picture yourself on a boat, how it gets rocked by those waves. The more chaotic the waves, the more chaotic uh, life can be. And that disorder is something that is characterized by the work of what uh, the forces of evil are trying to do in this world, trying to distort uh, what is good. Uh, they are anti-creation. They disrupt, they distort, they relish chaos. And then the practice that goes along with that is just, it, it's termed here vile practice, every vile practice uh, that goes along with that. And now in contrast to that, we're, we'll see that in some more passages in just a moment. But we have godly wisdom in this passage as well. Let me run through these quickly, and we'll come back and look at this a little bit more. You can see a lot of actions that come along with this. There's good conduct or works that go along with godly wisdom. There's an attitude here, a lot about attitude, meekness that goes along with this. Truth. Can you kind of see the, the difference between falsehood and truth? You're seeing the difference between uh, meekness or humility and the arrogance, the pride that comes along with the other type of wisdom that is here. There is a purity that's associated with godly wisdom. That's one of the pursuits of, of godly wisdom. There's a peace uh, that is there uh, that we are working towards. There's a gentleness that is there. There's an openness to reason. That means that you don't just go into conversations with your preconceived ideas and that you're, you're not open to adjusting those ideas if they need to be adjusted. Someone with godly wisdom has the meekness, has the humility to acknowledge that someone else might have something to teach me. Uh, there's an openness to the reason, not just openness, not in the way of being just carried around by every wind of doctrine that the Bible warns us about, but there's still an openness to reason, to hear the voice of truth. There is mercy that's associated with it in this passage. And good fruits, you know, it's changing us in ways where, which I think goes along with the good conduct, good works. And, you know, this godly wisdom should have an impact on the people around us in a good way. There's an impartiality that is there. Part of the way the world is working on us through its wisdom is to build up these, these different prejudices, these biases that we can come in with. Uh, and that makes us not open to reason. That, that uh, is arrogant. Uh, and, but godly wisdom is impartial. It actually listens to people. There's a sincerity that is there. And there is righteousness that is part of that good conduct that goes along with it. Those are the things that I see in this passage itself that are associated with godly wisdom. Now let's go back to this idea of worldly wisdom for a moment. And let's connect some other passages here that warn us against 
this type of thinking. First Timothy chapter 4 is going is to be one of those passages. It gives us one example of how worldly wisdom, what we might call the, the, the wisdom of demons, how it can play out uh, in the people around us. And sometimes even among the people of God who fall into the traps uh, that are here. Now here's what this passage tells to us. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Okay, this is New Testament talking to the people of God. But it is a warning about falling into this wisdom, the teaching of demons, which are also called deceitful spirits here. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Here's some of what they do. Gives us some examples of this demonic wisdom, these teachings of demons. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now this morning, one thing that I, I think you see as a pattern when you see the forces of evil, they take what God has created as good and they try to distort that, they try to disturb that, they try to twist it around. And, and if they can just leave just a little nugget of, of truth or something that, that appeals to us that is there, that then we're going to be more likely to fall for that. Let me show you a little bit about how this, this plays out with a situation like this. One example here of these teachings of demons are in the areas of food and, and of sexual relations. Now here's a spectrum that we could put up here to think about this. On the spectrum, I want you to imagine that if we think about the goodness, this passage talks about the goodness of what God has created. And let's think about this uh, in terms of what is, what is there in the, the middle of this. There's a sense on this spectrum of where there is the idea of, of being able to enjoy something, but to enjoy it with control. Let's consider those in the middle of the spectrum. Over here on the end of this spectrum, we find this. We find indulgence, and that is the idea that there is no control. There are no boundaries, uh, that you, you just engage, you indulge, and there, there are no limits you know, when it comes to in terms of food, the Bible would call this gluttony. We call that the indulgence. Uh, but you could put just about anything up on this spectrum and you could fall, you could talk about it here. Now I know my font's not going to fall in very well right here, but this is the word asceticism. Asceticism here. And, and what we could say there is it is withdrawal. It is denial of goodness. Over on the other end, this is the problem. And that is if you see, and that ultimately is the problem that is going on in the situation that's addressed in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is where God wants us. God wants us here in the, to understand that there is a healthy understanding of the goodness of creation. And we receive it with gratitude. And we practice holiness because there is both joy and there is control. There is the right practice uh, of what God has created for good. But here's where we have the demonic wisdom. 1 Timothy chapter 4, what we just read of, it would have us over here. It would have us over here of denying the goodness. Now it mentions two different things right there. 
mentions those who forbid marriage. They would forbid marriage because they see something like sexual relations and they instead of understanding what God intends for it and where it should be practiced, which is in this area, which is having boundaries but still enjoying it within, uh, the, within a marriage. It's what God intends for it. From the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, marriage is a good thing. Sexual relations within that marriage is a good thing. And yet these are people who distort the teachings of demons that play out in the teachings of people would would say that, no, this is something evil. And they would say, we need to be over here. We need to withdraw from that. We need to deny ourselves completely. We need to even forbid marriage if that's what's going to take place in marriage. And sometimes it plays out that way. Now, again, the, demon, the, the work of demons is working on us in different ways. You read another passage like Revelation chapter 2, verse 24. And you're going to have a, a church in the city of, of Thyatira, one of the places where the early church is. And you're going to see that there's a woman who's there who calls herself a prophetess. And yet Jesus calls her Jezebel, which is not a very flattering name if you read back and study Jezebel's character in the Old Testament. She leads others astray in distorted views on things like food and sex. The same two things that come up in 1 Timothy chapter 4. But instead of denying them, the problem here is that you, the problem is over on this end of the spectrum of indulgence, of, of what is called sexual immorality, of engaging with no control, with no boundaries, of not respecting God's principles of a passage like Genesis chapter 2, uh, where marriage is set up to be between one man and one woman and for life, and where divorce is not intended, and where extramarital activity is not intended, where that, that is where the goodness of what God set up is to be. And, and yet you have teachings that are teaching to indulge without the control without the boundaries uh, that are there too. And so in that passage, these teachings of Revelation 2.24, these teachings and those, these practices, they are called the deep things of Satan. That's what they're called. You can look that up. And, and Satan's work is going to be pointed out in a lot of those messages in those, to those churches in the book of Revelation. These are ideologies, these deep things of Satan. They are ideologies. They are systems of thinking. They have their root in the spiritual realm of darkness, in the dark part of the spiritual realm. But they show up in the way that we humans think about things, the way that we interact with each other. This is how the war of wisdom often plays out. So they have appeal to us, but ultimately they lead to chaos. They lead to distortion of reality. They are false. Now, those, that godly wisdom that we talked about earlier, that is something, that list of things that you're going to see associated with that. You're going to see some of those same ideas in the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us. You're going to see some of those same ideas in what's called the fruit of the Spirit of what God is producing in our lives if we are in Jesus Christ. All of that is going together, and all those passages show us the wisdom and our thoughts and our actions are all linked. Wisdom, again, is what we use to interpret the data that we are taking in. It's what our minds, uh, that our minds are collecting it. But what is going to happen with it? What do we do with it as it comes forth in our thoughts and in our, our words and in our actions? That's where, if godly wisdom is at work, 
then our words and our actions, they're going to be accompanied by humility that is in line with Jesus himself. They're going to be accompanied by a discretion uh, of what is good and how to accept with enjoyment uh, what, what is good, how to recognize what is good and enjoy what is good, but also understand the control that is there and, and understand where God wants us to, to celebrate, to participate in the things that he has created for good in this world around us. Now we're going to, to look at, uh, of course, we got this, this idea from James chapter 3. Let's go to this, this idea here, the battles of words and ideas. Because we're going to have another passage that comes up here. And let me say up front when we get into this passage, godly wisdom says that whenever we're talking with, with, um, with people, and we're engaging in the warfare of ideologies. As I said this morning, my enemy is not the man or the woman who is making a false argument. That person is someone made in the image of God. That person is a neighbor to be treated with respect. That person is someone to be loved. My enemies ultimately are the devil and the demonic forces of evil, which may be at work in shaping what this man or woman is saying at that moment. But Paul is going to use that, this warfare language in the context of ideas, of attitudes, of ideologies, of wisdoms. And he's going to do this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, which I'm about to put up here. But here's what I want you to, to think about when I put this up here. Number one, what is the goal of this war of wisdoms? When we're having interactions with people, when it comes down to actually talking through ideas with people, what is true and what is not? What is our goal? Secondly, how do we go about it? So what is our goal? What are we trying to accomplish? And then how do we go about it? And I think you will see those things in this passage. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ... I'll go ahead and tell you, that is, that's our, how we go about it. Our tactics have to be grounded in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. So that, that's at the heart of Paul's appeal to these people, because he's about to deal with some attacks, if you read this whole section of 2 Corinthians, some attacks on him personally, some very hurtful things that people have said about him, some very false things that people have said about him. And he's going to put out some defense because it's not just his reputation that's at stake. It's the gospel's reputation that's at stake. It's the truth that's at stake here. But he's going to make sure, just to, to make sure that his words don't come across uh, as arrogant, as anything associated with that demonic wisdom, that way of thinking, the worldly way of thinking. He grounds all of this by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And he says this, and he says this a little, uh, little bit here of, of poking at some of the comments that have been made about him. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Again, people have accused him of being weak in his presence, weak in his presentation. He's just saying, I'm trying to be humble. I'm trying to, to, to go about things the way that Jesus would. It is not about just blowing people away with the words that you say. It's not about overpowering them with ideas and with logic and whatever else you want to use against them. Again, that person is not your enemy. And Paul is someone that we can look to to see someone who is always trying to do what he did in step with how Jesus would do it. 
I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on, showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Those who oppose Paul, those who have accused him of being weak-minded, those who have accused him of being whatever they have accused him of, of being, not a good public speaker, uh, not strong in his presence. He is saying that we don't go about things according to the flesh. We don't measure things the way the world measures them. And here's what he's going to say using some warfare language here. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now there's so much in this passage that, that I love. Number one, he's, he's saying again, our weapons are not the weapons of the world. And he's not just talking about the fact that we're not using swords or using guns whenever we disagree with someone, that we are not using physical violence against them. He's definitely talking about that. But he's also talking about even the words that we use are not according to the flesh. The way that we go about our discussions with people are not according to the flesh. Our warfare comes from God. It's a higher warfare. It's a higher wisdom that we are using when we are engaging this warfare. What is the goal of this war of wisdoms? Well, he says it. It is to destroy arguments and opinions raised against the knowledge of God and is to take every thought captive to obey Christ. If Jesus Christ, as we saw this morning, if he really is head over all rule and over all authority, then we want the world to know that. We want each person and their thoughts to be taken captive under him, for, for them to submit to him. God still gives us the freedom to make that choice in the end. But are we going to, we want people to have, to be persuaded to see that Jesus should be their Lord, that there is a higher wisdom in knowing him. But he also says here, how do we go about this? Like we said, not according to the flesh but by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Now that does not mean that we are shy about it. It doesn't mean that we lack boldness. It does mean that all of our interactions need to be in step with the characteristics described in James chapter 3 that we looked at earlier. There needs to be humility there. There needs to be a love for that person. That we need to realize that we are not just in the business of destroying the argument. We are in the business of trying to win the person. And you can destroy an argument and lose the person. And we, we need to, to realize we, we are waging war, but not in the same sense that the world is doing it. I know I'm saying that a lot tonight. But I think it's so important because I see so many people, whether it's face-to-face -face or more likely the way that we handle ourselves on social media where we don't have to talk to someone face-to-face, -face, where we can hide behind a screen and just type things in a certain way. And there's so much anger that comes across in the way that Christians speak about things so many times. And I know there's a place for anger. I realize that. 
But we've got to make sure our words can be bold and they should be bold. But they've got to be accompanied by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. They've got to be accompanied by, by a love that is there. Or you're never going to win over anybody. If you take pride in losing friends of people defriending you um, because of the tone that you take, then that, that could be a problem. There's one more major passage which contrasts the wisdom of God with the wisdom of the world. We won't read this whole passage, but I'll, I'll put it up here because even the way that we assess victory, and this can play out in our interactions with each other, and when we have these spiritual conversations about what is true, what is real, and we want to, we want to maintain a humility, we want to maintain an openness to reason, we want to have actual conversation with people, and we also don't want to assess victory the way that the world does. And here's why. Because the world has misassessed victory even when it comes to, the, to what happened at the cross. Here's what 1 Corinthians 2 verses 6 through 8 says. Among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. We may say, you know, according to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, it's not according to the prince of the power of the air. It's not according to the course of this world. It's something different. It's from above. It's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. That plays right into what we said this morning. Jesus has been placed above all rule and authority. Any other authorities that are here, they're temporary. They have limitations. But here's what we do as Christians, if we are in Jesus. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. We operate differently and we assess victory differently. And just as Satan and the forces of darkness looked at what happened on that Friday on a hill of Calvary and thought they had a victory in that moment... God was letting them expose themselves to the world of what darkness really is and that it ultimately did not win. Colossians 2 verse 15. In that moment, Jesus actually was disarming the powers by putting them on display. He exposed evil for what it really was and he absorbed it into himself. Now, if we're using the wisdom of the world, that's not how we would have gone about that battle. You know, it should, pause, it should get us to pause and think that God, the way that he's waged war, even against Satan himself, is not to completely wipe Satan out. Maybe he could have done that long ago. But God operates by a different wisdom. I don't pretend to understand all of that. But I do know that the, the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I read the scriptures, the more I'm, I'm trying to, to walk in, in the light and have my view of reality shaped by who God is, the more my eyes are open to how backwards this world is on so many things and the way it distorts reality and the way it even assesses victory. Like we said, 
You can say, well, I put that person in their place and I won that argument. I showed them what godly wisdom was. And if you're bragging about it as if that's, then you haven't shown them what godly wisdom was. You have, have made maybe logically true arguments, but you have made that person your enemy in the process instead of understanding who the real enemy is here. Come let us reason together. The rulers of this age don't understand this. But we as the people of God, we, we need to. Our job is to help the rulers of this age and all the people of this age to understand that the trust in the powers of this age, the trust in those sources of wisdom, it's in vain. Jesus has turned the way the world operates, should operate, the way that we know that it eventually will operate as we understand his kingdom. He's turned it on its head. He's the head of all things. He is the fountain of true wisdom. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that uh, in our conversations, we, uh, we deal with everything that we've talked about in the scriptures tonight. We know that we, we want to have healthy debate about ideas, about walking through you know, what, is, what is true, what is real. And we pray that we will be open. We pray that we will uh, have an openness to, to, where, to what is true reason. But Father, we, we also pray that we will not be deceived, have our eyes blinded by the wisdom of this world. We pray that we can be able to assess the different ways, just keep our eyes open to the different ways that the forces of evil are shaping us and are working in this world around us and are distorting your creation. And help us to be working in our conversations as we do so with humility, as we do so with love, as we do so in, in a peaceful way, but to do so in such a way where we are trying to expose the darkness for what it really is. And we are trying to point people to, to you and to your Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is above all rule and authority, and that he is the fountain of all wisdom. And may others have their eyes open to that. Use us in such a way that our, our work with them will be in step with, with Jesus in the way that we go about this. May we not be deceived by the teachings of demons, by deceitful spirits. Keep us on the paths of truth. We ask all this tonight in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Tonight we're going to sing a song of invitation. If you are struggling with something in your life that we can pray about on your behalf, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ tonight, be baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, to begin your walk uh, with him. The Bible says that that, that happens if, if we have faith in the working of God in that moment of baptism, knowing that I'm not saving myself, I'm not doing anything to save myself. I'm trusting in Jesus' salvation, and I want to be joined with him to participate in his salvation. Tonight, if you need that or need prayer for anything in your life, please come as together we stand as we sing.